0: Standing in God's house, we can come together and worship freely. For so many don't get the opportunity to do so, that's an awesome talk. Thank you, guys, for uh, putting your hearts into that. There's power in the name. You may be seated. I'm excited to be here. anybody else excited to be here? Yeah, it's a beautiful day outside. I thought the temperatures were kind of residing, but we're back up to like 90s again, and that's okay because we know it's coming soon, right? So. I think I'm officially, but unofficially, the first guest speaker, honored, to be able to speak at one seat. But I kind of remember a few weeks ago, there was a uh, Pastor Irk from Irk Church had visited, so, excuse me one minute. From Irk Church had visited, so I'm not sure if he's actually the first or I'm the first, whichever, but he came and spoke to us, gave a great message, and uh, we're grateful for Pastor Irk from Irkville or wherever that was. Who gave us a message regarding family matters? So I am still quite honored. Uh, I'm so proud of, of my brother. By the way, I'm Sean Waltman. For anybody who may not know me, uh, Pastor Jeff and Michelle are my family. He's my brother and my sister. So uh, and she's actually by marriage. So don't get any weird thoughts here. Uh, so. <laughs> She's married in, so either way, I know it's not funny, I caught myself after I said that, but I am truly proud of them, and I'm so honored that he entrusts me to speak my heart to you folks as well today, and I ask that God anoint the thoughts that I have to share from my heart for you as we look at the principle of God's Word. So, it's interesting because when I look back, I never imagined, I could have never imagined in my teens or in high school that I would be standing here sharing God's Word, right? Because anybody who would have known me back then, let's keep quiet at this point for a moment, so let's not give any amens at this point, but anybody who would have known me back then would realize I'm not the same guy that I used to be. Thank God for that, right? So I'm a walking testimony that God can change lives. God can change lives lives thank goodness for that but when I when I sit back and I you know I try to contemplate you know God what what could you have me share that's close to my heart uh, today in this message and and really I started kind of just contemplating over where I had been in my life and I went back to say high school so I started thinking you know I imagined certain things in my life as we probably all did now some folks, or maybe closer to my age, some of you are, are younger, so there's different levels of that, You're just, you just haven't experienced some of the same things. But when I take myself back to say the high school time, right, and I imagine what my life was gonna be like, and it was gonna be awesome, right? Because everybody thinks life's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be killer, I mean, you know, I had a punch list, I was gonna have a hot life, a fast car, and uh, a nice house, plenty of money, some real estate, and life was gonna be awesome, it was just going to be easy easy right but somewhere along the line things start changing you get married by the way i got the hot wife uh i've had a car that was a little bit fun here and there and you know some other things i have a nice house i'm blessed with some things but still yet you start life and and some kids start coming along you know you get married it's all fluffy in the beginning and you think uh marriage is just awesome we just love each other just it's just so great. Let's go have some fun, and we can do things, and love is just wonderful. And you think you're fulfilled by that. But then what happens is, kids start coming, right? Or, or to reframe that, maybe responsibilities start coming into your life. And what happens is, now I find myself in my 20s, and we got married young, my wife and I, uh, she was twenty nineteen. 19 and I was 22, I know it's just three years different so that helped me remember where I was too. So we were fairly young by today's standards of getting married, right? And uh, you know, so we got married, kids started coming along quickly, and then of course, bigger bills come to those responsibilities, and we're walking through life. And, and it seemed like all of a sudden my 20s were just like, boom, gone, just gone. And I'm trying to figure out where did they go? How did my kids get from this big and all sweet and you know cuddly, where they would sleep and it was so precious, to you know, and uh, not all of them, but just sometimes in certain modes, you know, they would they would not be the same, and they're much bigger and taller, and they talk now, they talk back now, and you know some of those things that you don't think about in the beginning, you don't think about that. So what happens is I get through my twenties, and it's kind of a blurry. And we were able to buy a house. You know, we started out where it was pretty rough, and it was a challenge just to. In fact, our finances went backwards trying to feed the children. or my oldest, I won't name names. <laughs> wow, well, trying to feed my oldest, so it was a challenge. So what what we found was that by having a house, and it was a very modest house. We uh, my first house was in Overland. It was about 750 square feet, two bedroom. And my wife and I lived there, and Savannah was our firstborn, so we were there, and, and things were great, you know, for a little bit, and, and then you start feeling like, well, how do I progress past this, right? And then we move into another house, you know, you take another step, and, and it's an exciting moment, and you feel like, this is going to be awesome. And then you get that, you attain that, and the next thing you notice, you still feel, you move back right in that same position where you kind of feel like that void is still there, Right? And at some point, I hit my thirties, and thirties changes. I've always said, now I look back in the perspective, I say thirties were awesome, but that's because I'm in my forties. So everybody thinks that when you moved up a decade, right? So in my thirties, you know, your career starts settling in, at least for me. My career was settling in, and, and we were climbing out of the debt hole, and uh, starting to have some progress. I mean, by all means, by all the standards of the world, we were successful, right? We had a decent house, we had a decent car, uh, had a job, you know, all the things that you say, well, man, you should have been thankful for that. And I, I thought I was, but what I found was I started coming to this time in my life, which was my late 30s, where I felt like there's something missing. Is this it? Is this all that's left? Is this, is this what the rest of my life is going to be like? is just this chase my tail, work, 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 pay the bills, chase my tail, work, 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 pay the bills. And in the monotony of this, and it just I started losing my zest for life. And then I go into this mode where, you know, if only, ah, uh, if only I had, had not been such a, a screw up in school. And of course my parents, you know, they they always thought I was really smart because when the report cards would come home with an I, they knew that, that meant I was intelligent. But beyond that, uh, you know, it just, I didn't do—I didn't go very often. I wasn't there. So I didn't show up. So I didn't learn things. So I didn't have a respect for, I want to learn, you know? It wasn't, that wasn't me. Mine was like, hey, where's my friends? Let's have fun. That was my perspective for school. And so if only I had done that, or if only I had gone to college and, you know, done some of the things that I see some of the other people I went to school with who got an education, and you know they're they're smart, and they have a career. Or, or if only I had had married a wife who was more like me, understood me better. Or, or, only if if I had started raising my kids differently from the beginning to where basically what I found was everything became an excuse for me. Why he's more successful than me? Why they have more money than me? Why my marriage? is not as exciting as theirs. Why my checkbook is not as filled as my neighbor's. And what I found was these excuses were paralyzing my ability to move. Paralyzing my ability to grow. Everyone say, excuses paralyze. That's the topic of my message today. and I feel like this is what God's put on my heart. I've lived this. I've experienced it. And God has brought me through some things and shown me how my excuses paralyze our situation. How we allow obstacles to paralyze us in our life today. Anyone else felt like this before? Am I speaking to anybody here today? So really when we look at it, and I, and I step back from it and I say, okay, why is this? What it really comes down to is we're all seeking happiness. Would that be right? We all, we all just want happiness. Happiness which is you know, joy, peace, a spouse that worships us, or we think that's what happiness is. Uh, you know, someone who supports us. Everybody, you know, the friends who, who call you repetitively. Hey, come over. Hey, we want to spend time with you. Your phone's ringing off the hook because you're so popular, right? That's what we deem as happiness. Kids who are perfect, they get straight A's. They're just brilliant. They never talk back. All these wonderful things. That's our picture sometimes of happiness. The perfect job. You walk in and it's just wonderful. And everybody's cheering, high-fiving Hey, man, good morning. I've never seen that. But that's how we feel sometimes, or our perspective of what we think happiness should look like, right? So it doesn't mean it is happiness, but it's what we think happiness should look like. A lot of times we see that in other people, and we look at them, we measure them up, and say, if only I had what they have, right, do envy. If I only had what they had, then I'd be happy. And sometimes we even get to the point where, you know, and, and I was here, where I recognized There were these obstacles and these things binding me. And so you move into prayer and you say, you know what, for for those who are Christians and and you say, God help me over this obstacle. Help me to step beyond this. Bring me through this situation. Help me get past where I am today. God, just, just move the mountain for me. God, just show me the direction. God, just give me this new job. God, do this for me. God, here's my list. Just read it over and take care of it. Will you please fix my list? This is things, these are the things that I need. But inevitably, what happens is, God doesn't work that way. And then we end up finding ourselves in a position to where we're starting to lose hope. Anybody ever lost hope? Feel like the situation is maybe a little bit hopeless, like you just can't get beyond the obstacle or the challenge that's at hand? Because our mind starts believing that we're stuck here. This is who we are. Uh, we're defined by this. Uh, we can't ever get past it. We can't ever have a better job. We can't ever get along with our spouse. Uh, we can't ever, you know, uh, grow our, our knowledge and, and get closer to God. Uh, and, and it just never comes. The things that we pray for sometimes just don't show up in this magic moment. That's my girls like when I say, in this poof moment, where you get this magical just poof, Fix it. Oh, thank you, God. Now, I'm not limiting God. Don't get me wrong. God can and does oftentimes move in a miraculous way. But I've never seen in my life where it's this magician, magical type moment where it's just a snap of the fingers type of fix. I don't believe God works that way. And I know why he doesn't work that way because the Bible shows us how. So what happens is our excuses when we lose hope start paralyzing our ability to move forward, paralyzing our ability to grow beyond the challenges and circumstances that we have. Now, I say all that to say this. The good news is, God has this incredible story in the Bible that shows us how we can change, how we can learn from this. And how we can grow by the illustration of God's Word. So we're going to be speaking out of John 5 today. Anybody who uh, has a has a device, a Bible, I don't know if anybody here probably carries paper Bibles, but uh, actual physical Bibles, but whatever you do, if you'd like to turn to John 5, we'll be talking out of that narrative and, uh, and move through that to see what the application is there. Everybody good? Say amen? All right, let's move forward. So... This is John 5, which is the story of the healing of the pool. And the scriptures go like this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the and the paralyzed. Now, this wasn't like what you are maybe picturing in your mind, you know, or when you go to a resort or when you have company over you're all laying around the pool. It wasn't pretty and fluffy like that, the sun was shining, and everybody was basking in, in the you know, around the pool trying to soak up some rays It was not like that at all. This was people who had this belief that if they could jump in the pool at the right time, they would be healed. So in other words, they felt like the angels would come down, stir the water. You know like when, when you're kids or maybe when you're adults, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of a big kid. You're in a pool and you get everybody together and you're walking around the edge, especially if you got a round pool. And you're walking around the edge like this, we had a pool that was like a steel container. I think it was actually like a horse trough. Now that I think of it. I think it was dangerous. But nonetheless, it was a pool about this tall, and it was maybe uh, eight foot round, and we would walk around it like this and get that water just churning and turning, right? And it would just be going in a circle, churning away, and then you stop, and you your legs go. You're floating around in a circle, and it's all fun, right? It's it's fun and enjoyable, and you're moving around in the water. That's what they believed when they found that the water was churning like that. If they were to jump in at the right time, what happens is they would be healed. So if they would jump in at the right time, they would be healed. Now. So now, get this picture. You have all these people who are disabled, paralyzed, blind, lame, who are laying around this pool hoping to jump in at just the right moment. The narrative goes on to say one who was there had been an invalid, which is just another word for disabled, for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. That's a long time, right? That's a long time by anybody's measure, especially some of you younger folks here today who say, wow, well, I haven't even hit the 30-year mark. So that's like uh, one and a half times my life man already, or maybe double some of you. Some of us who have been here over 38 years, even me in my 40s, I'm not that far from 38 years. That's a long time. That tells us that someone, this man, this invalid, they don't name a name, has existed, just existed, There it goes on. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, valid question, do you want to get well? Makes sense to me, right? You've been laying here for 38 years. You've been, you know, wallowing in the same circumstance and the same obstacle for 38 years. I would say that you've kind of lost your hope, you've kind of lost your drive. Do you want to get well? And he goes on his the invalid responses, Sir, I have no one to help me. There's his first excuse. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. In other words, there's no one there to help me. You know, I, I'd like to get in, but I just keep laying here year after year right on the sidelines, I just, I just I just, nobody will help me. And then, as soon as you know I do uh, decide to get in, uh, somebody else butts in front of me, somebody else gets in my way, somebody else is in front of me, and, and I'm just in the same position again, and I just can't seem to make change, because I can't get somebody to help me. Hmm. This is my favorite part right here. This is the PowerPoint. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk, man. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And that's a powerful sentence right there because he's saying, take action. You've got to stand up in your life. You can't just lay on the sidelines for 38 years. You gotta make a move. You want change in your circumstance? You gotta get up in your life, make a move. You have to do something about that. Faith without works is dead. You can't just say, God, I do this, God I do this, hand, God, your punch list, and then stand on the side and say, uh, you know, I'm just gonna sit here and God fix this for me. And tell me when it's done, God. I'll be here waiting. God's like, Yeah, no, you will, because you're not getting anything until you move. You've got to take action. You have to pick up your mat and walk. And it goes on to say, once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And, walk. and it shows us, it's a wonderful illustration that action cures fear. Action will always overcome fear. And you have the power, we have the power to make change. Not just change in, in a little way, we have the power to make little changes, but we also have the power to make big changes in our life. And he's telling us today in this narrative that we can extract from this, get up, today's the day, get up, get up, take action. How dare you sit there and just task me and not move on your faith. If you say you have faith, you have to get up, make some movement. There is people, There are people who are lying in the hospital today, dying, who would kill for an opportunity that you guys have now, within handling a circumstance so small that we experience, and we let it bind us, paralyze us, because, well, they owe me an apology. I didn't do anything wrong. Right, or if he hadn't stepped in front of me, I would have had that promotion. Right, or that relationship with my kid—you know, they're just—they're just sarcastic, they're just brat, they don't respect me. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. It's your responsibility to take a step when you're going to claim faith in Jesus. Some of you say, "Well, I can't change. I just..." I've been this way for so long. I just, you know, it's, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. You know, you're going to have to love me for who I am. Even though maybe you're really hard to be around sometimes. Maybe you're really brazen. And, and, and is that the way God wants you to be? No. You can change. Especially if you're someone who has turned your way, walking as a Christian now and claiming Christ. And if you can turn from the world, and you can turn yourself towards Christ... And you just start walking in the mode. I don't know about you, but man, that's probably one of the hardest and the biggest things that anybody can ever do. The largest changes that anybody can ever make in their life. Amen. It's difficult, right? Because you got friends in the background who are, oh no, you don't want to do that, man. Just, just you know, come over. Let's 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 go uh, hit the bars. Uh, let, let's go let's go do this. No, don't do that. Oh, you're weird. Yeah, we're gonna stop talking about that because you know they go to church now. That's weird they're religious, that type of thing. You lose friends, sometimes you lose family, right? Some of you here today may have lost family because of your choice to follow Christ. So if you can do that, if you can do that, you can make changes by believing in yourself, trusting in God over the obstacle that's in front of you today, over the obstacle in your home, the obstacle in your marriage, wherever it may be in your relationships, you can do it. Some of you folks are the ones who are, you know, well, excuse me a moment, sagging on my ears, it feels a little weird. So, some of you are the, are the folks who, you know, you say, well, you don't know what I've been, you don't know what I've done, you don't know my past. It's ugly. I did some bad stuff. I don't think God really loves me and it doesn't matter. I, I can't change because I'm just I'm not I'm not good enough. God remembers what I did. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not I'm not secure enough. People don't think I'm smart, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna keep making those excuses and just let them paralyze me and I'm just gonna sit here and watch life and world go by as I sit here bound paralyzed by my indecisiveness to step up, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And here's one thing I know. There's nothing more than the devil wants, or the enemy wants, than to convince you that you're not worthy, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you got married too late, you did this too late, you didn't go to college, all those things. So he can keep your mind below the promises of God. Right? Right? If He can keep your mind in control, if He can lock onto your mind and let your excuses control your thoughts, then He can keep you from being in the promises of God. Because if you're in the promises of God, you say, I can do all things. You step into it. I can do all things. I can repair that relationship. I can fix my marriage. I can grow my finances. Yeah, I may have to get another job. But you can I may have to work more hours. Yes, exactly. Do it. That's right. That's what God says. Take action. Step into the promises of God and show God that, hey, I believe on your promises, Lord. I believe it. But you can't believe it being locked up in the ball while you say, I believe it. Because if you truly believed it, guess what? Your actions would show that you believe. Amen? Your actions would show Here's the best part. This is really good and this really brings home a solid point that was important to me. In Proverbs 12 it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. In other words, hope ignored, put off, makes the heart sick. And the word sick, when you define that, it actually has a, it talks about the mind as well, being an unhealthy mind as well. It says, but when the desire is fulfilled, now that's where it gets exciting. It's a tree of life, which means when you really fulfill that desire, what happens is that hope, that's been lost, that's been set aside, that, that you can't seem to find because you, you've lost it all. You've been laying there for 38 years in your situation, and that hope is gone. And when you start seeing a little fulfillment and desire, guess what? You start building up your piggy bank of hope. You start filling this void in you that's been gone. You can't figure out what it is, where it went, but now you're getting a little infilling of some hope guess what, that, that makes you stand up and gets a little pep in the step and, and gets you a little excited and, and you, you want to you step forward. And guess what, when you step forward, what happens is, you want to take another step forward because here's the thing, when you move, God moves. Ooh, ooh, we don't like that, right? Because we really want to say, well, God, you move and then I'll do what you tell me. God, you do it first and I'm going to follow. It's not the way God works. It's not the way God works. Because if that were the way that God worked, what would you learn? What would you take? Where would you gain any experience for the next obstacle that comes in your life if you just said, God fixed the farm? It's like parenting 101, right? Uh, as hard as it is, sometimes you have to make your kids do something for themselves. Amen? Would be nice if they had to do everything for themselves. But nonetheless, sometimes you still have to help them. But the point is, if we just did it for them, they would never extract the lesson and the knowledge and the understanding that would now plant in their memory, in their mind, of how they overcame that situation, of how to be thankful, because they know how to overcome that situation. They gained wisdom in the process. And when you look back on it, that's what we call experience, right? God wants you to experience. Because if you don't move, you will never experience. And until you bring your experiences into your situation by moving first, then you're going to be stuck here paralyzed in your situation. Paralyzed. You won't be able to move. So in other words, we have to change our perspective, what it's really about, right? Quit putting it off on others and say, hey, how can I stand back in introspection and say, how am I a part of this? What could I do? Regardless of of who's to blame, they did this to you, right? they deleted me on Facebook first, uh, whatever it is, all the things that we struggle with on a regular basis, how do we say, how can I do something different here, right? How can I be a part of the solution? It's a perspective. It's a movement. Because you're saying, God, I want you to heal this relationship. But really, God, they need a politics to me. And as soon as they do, God, I promise I'll forgive them. That's not action, guys. That's not action. That's tasking God and saying, I believe, but I'm not going to move. You. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to wait. Right? That's not what God wants for your life. It's not what he wants for your life. So you move. In God moves Romans 12, this is an awesome scripture. Romans 12, 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transform comes from the Greek word metamoe, I believe. So those of you watching online, if that was, if I messed that word up, forgive me for that. And what that means is you can go, it's where we get our word metamorphosis, you can go through a metamorphosis that will renew your mind. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty powerful. That is powerful. God's saying you can transform your mind, and when you transform your mind, then the blessings will come. You step into the promises of God because you have a different perspective. and you no longer allow your excuses to bind you, to paralyze you, from the things that you truly want, which is really just joy, uh, uh, happiness, encompass peace, love in our family, uh, a God-built home—all the things that we truly want. When sometimes we try to buy them, you know, we think, uh, you know, if I could just have that, and if I buy that, uh, I'm going to feel pretty happy. Now, uh, side disclaimer, if it's the right kind of car, it can give a little excitement and stuff. I'll have to admit, I'm a sucker for that, but it will not. Fulfill you. It will never fill the void. It will only be a quick moment in time, and you'll be right back where you were. I like to. I love the scenario of faithful of mustard seed, right? Everybody's heard that, right? The faithful mustard seed. And I had a conversation with my daughter. We get into these conversations here and there, and I love it because the perspective is I see them thinking, and it's just exciting and invigorating to me because. They're older now, and I can see their gears turning, and it just makes me really proud when, when I can see they're assessing life and they're thinking deeper because that shows that they want to grow in whatever. And we talk about the faithful mustard seed, and I said, You know, here's my perspective on it. It's not, I'm not well, you guys out. Uh, I'm just kind of relaying my situation. As I spoke to her across the table, I said, Here's my situation, or Here's my perspective on it. Is the faithful mustard seed, everybody's always praying for faith, right? God give me faith. God help me be more faithful. Help me be more faithful. And I think it's misinterpreted because the faithful mustard seed is only active once you move. So it's it only takes that tiny little seed. But like James said, if it's all alone, it's dead. It's totally dead. And we talk about moving mountains. Uh, and I said, you know, here's here's a good way to look at it. If I said, you know what, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to take a step forward. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a bunch of backhoes, bulldozers, and I'm going to bring them out to a mountain. And I said, if they started digging, it may take a day. I don't know the size of the mountain. It may take a month. It may take years. I don't know. But at the end of the day, when I look back at some point, I'm going to see the compound effect of that, right? And the effect will be, we moved that mountain. And that's no different in our lives today. See, the difference is, if you don't take forward steps, if you allow your excuses to lock you and paralyze you because you're not taking any action, you'll never grow beyond your circumstance. And here's one thing I know. My God, your God, did not die on the cross. He didn't send Jesus to die on the cross, shed His blood, die for our sin to be tortured, beaten, and bruised for my sins and for your sins just so He could ascend to heaven and watch us suffer. That's not my God. That's not the God I serve. God I serve, He said... I am going to do this for you. But you have to step into the promises that I have. You have to step into the promises. And when you do, you get to claim those. And when you claim those, then that tree of life starts coming alive and you start plucking the fruit. Right? Filling up your basket with joy, happiness, peace, contentment, resolving relationships. Resolving all the things that we really desire. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this opportunity to come before you, sit in your house, God, in One Church today. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to take action, God. We're thankful that you, you show us that through faith, when we couple our faith with action, that the impossible becomes possible. No matter what level that is today, or whatever, no matter what we're challenged with, God, whether it's our conversation, our attitude, our jealousy, or or whatever may be, big or small, God, everyone has their own individual circumstances that we're trying to overcome. God, we're so thankful, so thankful, and grateful that you show us in your Word, you give us a light manual to know how to navigate these waters, so we can really. Have a tree of life now. Because it's not about later, God. It's about now. It's about enjoying the journey. And we're so grateful for that. We love you and thank you and ask God that you you take us along in this week and you help us to remember that our excuse is paralyzed. And God, for one thing, I ask that you, you help us all take one step towards focusing on one obstacle that we can move towards. Helps to make moves. And God, knowing that we may bounce from side to side, we may not go a direct line, right to, straight to goal, but that when we move, you're watching. You know that the heavens are rejoicing, the angels are jumping up and down, saying, that's my child. That's my child. One more step. One more step. You're getting closer. Taste your You're getting closer. You can do it.